0: This is No Stoplights with Ken R. Thank you for joining us. Another edition of No Stoplights. I want to thank our sponsors Pepsi of Florence, Carolina Bank, Mickey Fins, Marlboro Pity Electric Co op, Francis Marion, University McLeod Health, McCall Farms, Victor's, and PLC Commercial. We're still in kind of a transitioning phase. Out of an extension of the radio show uh, "Wake Up Carolina" into a newer and more locally centric, regionally centric uh, podcast. I want to thank you, our listeners and viewers, for joining us. Uh, we're going to do a better job of accommodating our sponsors, making sure you, uh, our viewers and uh, and subscribers, understand how important these um, these sponsors are. I want to level with you. Uh, it's it's compli- It's not complicated. It's different for me uh, to do this. I'll get a little better at it, but I'm not ever going to be formal. I mean, if you're looking for a formal presentation, someone staring at a camera, reading a teleprompter, go to Fox News. They got five, seven, 120-pound women that do that over and over and over again. Or go to CNN. They've got some people that do it in a very different um, sort of style. But But I want to be – uh, authentic I want to be real and I, I tend to be very informal uh, I tend to speak a million miles an hour uh, that's why I hope you'll listen two or three times to understand um, an accelerated version of Pamplicoenian. Pamplicoenian is hard enough to understand on its own but an accelerated version of that is even uh, is even harder to understand but I do want to make sure that you understand how critical these sponsors are. And their buy-in to us trying to provide uh, kind of an opinion piece to a news desert. We we want to we want to thank the Post and Courier for a presence they've um they've established here. That's very important. Uh, knowing what's happening in a community is very important. We're we're, we're not an extension nor a part of the Post and Courier. We're having a lot of conversations with their people about how we can um, collaborate, but we are kind of the letter to the editor, the opinion section of that uh, of that fine and, and prestigious publication. But uh, but once again, we are in a property owned by Francis Marion University. We are utilizing some young, uh, some young folk trying to understand what makes the world go around. I'm not a lecturer. I'm not a uh, I'm not a professor by any stretch of the imagination, but we're excited to have, um, as part of this podcast experience, some interns that'll begin making bigger and bigger contributions as they see uh, how inferior the host uh, really is. So, so, once I want to establish that and make sure that our sponsors understand and you understand how important they are to try and help this community um, continue. To address and, and discuss some of the some of the important issues, I'll refer to my notes today a lot um, because there's a lot of numbers here, and this is kind of the first one we've done without a guest. I want to thank all of you out there who have um, viewed the one we did with um, with a uh, Dr. Fred Carter and the Seal McLeod Health Don Iskett Don and Fred Carter were our two first um, guests. Scott Kaufman. Has been a guest here talking about Israel and and the Gaza Strip and Moss and that part of the world that is very complicated. Um, but we really wanted to make sure that that Don and Fred were um were our first two guests because they're, they're important contributors to the community. You got Francis Marion McLeod um, health here, but they're also instrumental in allowing this podcast to exist. Uh, we are gainfully employed. We we are getting paid to do this, but it's not. Uh, it's not without the support of these sponsors, any of that would have happened. This is a topic that uh, is multifaceted. It's not crystal clear. Uh, As you've heard me say, maybe on the radio, maybe not. My opinions are my opinions. Uh, I don't have a monopoly on the truth. I don't have the answer to every question. I do think I am skilled. Uh, at introducing subjects in a debate format and allowing you to kind of think, consider, and ponder on some of these, some of these situations and issues, and and I was thinking about the economic slowdown that that a lot of experts are predicting for early next year. Uh, maybe the entire year could eventually uh, be a little less than stellar economically. But I went back to my business life, and um, and in my previous life, I built truck beds in a family business, and I can remember. So some of the economic cycles we were a part of, some of the slowdowns and the upturns, and and in all honesty, the hard times were not as much fun, but they were easier to manage. Revenue covers up a lot of mistakes that we made. So when our business was growing, we we got a little bit careless, a little bit loose and fast. We didn't do as good a job uh, managing efficiencies as we did. And and I want to tr- tr- try to try to parlay that experience I had in the private sector and what I learned from there and express a degree of concern I have with our state government. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about local government as No Stop Lights evolves. We're going to talk a lot about local issues of uh, the history of this area, but, but right now I want to concentrate on our state government because we're in the state of South Carolina. We're operating under a state constitution uh, the the latest iteration was 1895. I mean, there's been some other uh, amendments. I think in the most recent election cycle, we I think amended the Constitution to allow for uh, an increase in the percentage of revenue that is to be put in reserve funds. Uh, the Constitution is amended, and I want to make sure I get this right. Two thirds of the body, both bodies, both chambers of the State House, both House and Senate, uh, have to agree uh, that presents a ballot question to the public, the majority vote on that. And then it's ratified once again by both bodies of the state house, the house and, and the Senate. Uh, One of the, one of the central ingredients of the constitution of 1895 that I want to spend a few moments and try and discuss is the one County, one Senator Um, before urbanization, before industrialization, before rural depopulation, um there there was I don't know the mindset and I guess it's reflected in the U.S. Senate uh the Electoral College is is is, uh up for debate today and a lot of people have different opinions about the Electoral College is it fair for Wyoming to have the same number of senators they've got one house member two senators um California has two senators is that fair um fair is in the eye of the beholder some like the Electoral College they believe that um It forces a more collective way of governing. Uh, The two senators in Wyoming have as much sway as the two senators from California or Montana and New York would be uh, a similar situation. But the one county, one senator— was in our state's constitution in 1895, and it stayed the law of the land. We had home rule, and, and I don't want to get—I mean, we could take two hours, explain a little bit of home rule, a lot of home rule, what home rule did do, what home rule um, didn't do. It gave some of the authority of governance to some of the local governments. But it still, for a long time, was one county, one senator— Here's the concern I have, and it goes back to a 1964 landmark decision, Reynolds versus Sims. Uh, I've tried to study this. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not legally trained by any stretch of the imagination, but, but if you read the case— And it was the Warren Court. If you read the case, it was only one dissenting opinion. They basically said um, that the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment, and I'll read it verbatim here, um, what they referred to, nor shall any state deny to any person within its jurisdiction uh, the equal protection of the laws. In essence, one man, one vote. It makes sense, right? One man, one vote. And I'm talking about men figuratively, not literally. Of course, women, uh, unfortunately, were given the right to vote. I'd, I'd say, uh, please accept the humor as the humor um, is. But let's go back to the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. So, so nor shall any state deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. That changed the one county, one senator. Uh, obviously South Carolina has grown tremendously and it goes back to my experience in business. When you're growing, sometimes you don't pay as close attention. Sometimes you get things, uh, not, not as efficiently and effectively governed. Uh, and we were governing a business in essence, running a business, governing a state, well, not one of the same, but same characteristics and traits. So I began kind of delving into this and the busy head syndrome kind of takes uh, charge, so, so let's go 1895, one Senate to one county. Pretty easy to do that. I mean, it would be a little bit like the, the United States Senate. Uh, Wyoming and Montana get two each. New York and California get two each. Some like that. Some don't. Some don't like that. But the state constitution, one senator, one uh, one county became null and void when Reynolds v. Sims became law of the land in 1964. And you had to really start drawing districts on uh, proportion of people. Population um, density became a big part of that. And, and I think Warren in, in, his, in his decision, in his majority opinion, basically said, You know, we're not talking about acres of land. We're not talking about trees and rivers. We're talking about people. People vote. Trees don't vote. Land doesn't vote. Rivers don't vote. Deer don't vote. Uh, And once again, this, you know, our Constitution, the 1895 iteration, predates industrialization, de-urbanization, or excuse me, uh, urbanization, and the kind of the the rural depopulation that we're dealing with uh, today. Why does that matter to South Carolina? It may matter in Connecticut. It may matter in Georgia. It may matter more in um, in Oregon. I, I don't. It doesn't matter to me. I don't live in in those places. I guess to some degree, I'm interested because they are a you know a, a member of the Union. We refer to it as the United States of America. So I have some sort sort of attraction or opinion on how Oregon governs itself or how uh, Maryland governs itself. But I'm a South Carolinian, a loud proud South Carolinian, and I started doing some digging. But because having spent some time in Columbia, it became pretty obvious to me that there are certain population centers gaining more and more and more and more influence on how our state governs its affairs. And and it became pretty obvious to me that—and I'm going to use South Carolina as a microcosm of California and New York— and Wyoming and Montana, two densely populated, heavily populated states, and then two lesser. Now the House is is based on population. We move some House seats around. I think South Carolina gained one in the last census. We'll probably gain another in the next, at the expense of a state that's losing population. So the House seats at the U.S. Congress at the federal level, I mean, they're they're you know shifting in and out. Uh, a state has a twenty or thirty-year run of growth; it gains a, a house seat or two. Uh, I'll give an example. Donald Trump got two hundred thirty-two electoral college votes in twenty twenty. If he held serve and won every seat in twenty four, if he's the nominee, two thirty-two turns into two thirty-five. You've had kind of um urban flight. COVID may have accelerated that some, but you had a lot of people leaving some of the densely populated big cities in, in America, coming to, uh, I don't know, more tax-friendly, quality of life. Uh, weather chasers would be a part of that. And South Carolina's enjoyed enormous benefit to the tune of 5.2 million people. So hold on to that number. 5.2 million people live in South Carolina Um, A House district represents about uh, 40,000 South Carolinians. We have 124 House districts. Throw some numbers at you, but stick with me for a second. And uh, and I need to one word. Um, we got 46 Senate seats. Uh, So you you, kind of, once again, we we don't have one county, one senator any longer. Uh, It's not kind of the model of... The United States Senate, and 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 someone would ask, well, why doesn't Reynolds v. Sims apply to the to Senate at the federal level? Well, I mean, the Constitution speaks specifically. I mean, you got to amend the federal Constitution. The courts can't do that. I mean, the courts can make decisions on interpretation of the Constitution, but but they can't amend the Constitution. And Reynolds v. Sims says, and if you listen to the word in the 14th, Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment, nor shall any state. I mean, there, there's a reason that they were able to make that ruling, nor shall any state, because the Constitution of America does not, set state election laws. It doesn't say, hey, uh, all of you states got to do the same thing. It does speak specifically to uh, the House and Senate. And it says that, you know, Wyoming is going to have two senators and California is going to have um, two senators. So that's a quite. I mean, that, that's quite the distinction in what Re- Reynolds v. Sims says about the state governments juxtaposed um, to the federal government. So let's go back to these numbers. Uh, South Carolina has 46 counties, 46 senators, 124 representatives. A Senate district has 110,000 voters. A House district has, give or take, 40,000 voters. We have 5.2 million people. I think when I looked today, it was 5.18. Uh, for argument's sake, I'm rounding up to 5.2 um, million people. Stick with me for a second. Eight counties in South Carolina have over 3 million people. I mean, I'll read this. Greenville has 550,000. Richland has 425,000. Charleston has 425,000. Horry has 400,000. Spartanburg, 350,000. Lexington, 310,000. York, 300,000. Berkeley, 250,000. So the, the most populated eight counties in South Carolina have over 3 million people. The other 38 counties have the ballots, less than 2 million uh, people. In fact, we have 30 counties in South Carolina with less than 100,000 people. Remember, a Senate district, 110,000. We've got 30 counties with less than 100,000. I think we've got about 17 counties with less than 50,000, maybe 15. 15 to to 17 counties have less than um, 15,000 citizens that call that county um, home. So when you take the 5.2 million people and you start playing around with math a little bit, and you say, okay, in these eight counties, they've got north of 3 million of the 5.2 million. So roughly 60% of our population live in eight counties. Go back to the one-man, one vote. Figuratively, not literally. One-man, one vote means that the top 20% of our counties so, so 20% of our counties in South Carolina are home to 60% of our senators and house members. That, that's concerning to me. Uh, it's concerning to me because I know a little bit about politics. And the guy that's running for the Senate seat in Greenville, I'm not saying he doesn't care about the people in Oconee County or, or the people in Darlington County, the people in Florence County for that matter, but they don't keep him in office. I mean, these aren't statewide seats. This isn't a gubernatorial race, and you take care of the people who show up at the ballot box and polls to cast uh, ballots in your favor. So you got Greenville, you got Richland, you got Charleston, Horry, you got Spartanburg, Lexington, York, and Berkeley. Fine and decent people live in those counties, but, but my argument would probably be that if we're not careful, is it healthy for a state, We're talking about industrialization, urbanization, rural depopulation. Is it healthy for a state to have 20% of its counties controlling 60% of its government? I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying it's, it's not Greenville's fault for growing. I mean, it's certainly not Charleston's fault for growing or Ori, Ori's is one of the fastest growing counties in all of America. Forget South Carolina. I mean, Orie is one of the fastest, maybe the fastest growing county in all of South Carolina. Um, growth is hard to manage. And I think we look at uh, infrastructure. We look at education. We look at stormwater drainage and construction and all the problems it brings about. We don't often consider government. And what this does to the disproportionality of representation in some of these counties, um, the courts have spoken in 1964, uh, but they basically said that, you know, if you go back to the old model of one County, one Senator, you're basically in violation of the equal protection clause of the 14th amendment. And that is regarding state elections and the way States vote, their elected officials in uh, in place. And, uh, I I just think we've got to begin to consider what the long-term consequences are of eight counties, 20 percent of our counties, controlling 60 percent of our government, both in the House uh, and the Senate, while the—and you got 30 counties, or really got 40, uh, 38 counties— that, that, you know, make up the ballots. And I could have gone on. I mean, I think there's another couple of counties there that have over 200,000 people, but I stopped at eight uh, because, the, you know, I wanted to stop at 250,000. So Greenville's number one at 550,000. Berkeley's number eight at 250,000. We've got 30 counties with less than 100,000 people. Is it a better government? I mean, I understand what Reynolds v. Sim says. I mean, there's no denying that, um, that the implications of the 14th Amendment are— um, denying any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. And if you're giving a, um, a voter in Florence a more disproportionate say than a voter in Greenville, it probably is a violation of the 14th um, of the Equal Protection Act clause, of the 14th of the 14th Amendment. But along with that brings challenges. And and once again, I'm not accusing the senators from Greenville of anything. I'm not accusing the House members in Ori of anything. They're doing exactly what they should do. I mean, they're representing their constituencies. They're dealing with big growth problems in some of these fast-growing areas in South Carolina. You, you got stormwater and construction and uh, infrastructure. I mean, you know, growth is hard to to manage. I mean, it really is. And I think we've neglected some of the responsibilities we had to accommodate some of these fast-growing fast growing areas. But what happens to these other counties? In, in other words, what I'm asking is, if we're beginning to have this disparity, if, if eight counties are going to control 60% of how we govern ourselves, and those eight counties comprise only 20% of, the, of I guess, the roster of counties, how do we better govern ourselves, what happens to these? I mean, we're talking about rural depopulation. Does it accelerate? I mean, it, we're dealing with, I look to the, today, and I think the state's budget, I want to make sure, I don't want to misquote here. The state's budget's about $40 billion, and about $13 billion of that $40 billion is what I call federal pass-through money. I mean, it comes from the federal government into the coffers of the state government, but it's not their money. I mean, they can do very little about that. The federal government gives the money to the states. They basically have all these strings attached, and these lawmakers in Colombia are subservient to the federal government. It's a little bit like the golden rule. Who has the gold rules? Federal government's got most of the money. They make most of the rules. So when they pass down their $13 billion in what I I call federal pass-through money, it's it's not, but it is part of the budget. There's no doubt about it. All in, we're about, uh what about uh 40 billion dollars you take the the 13 billion federal pass-through dollars out of the equation we're spending about 27 billion dollars our general assembly decides um six months a year five months a year to spend 27 billion dollars and doesn't it stand to reason that of the 27 billion the majority will be spent in the most populated counties since they have the most votes not just voters, But the one thing I learned at the county level, I I sat on a county council, Florence County, uh, here just across the street from where we're broadcasting this podcast, and I learned very quick that five beats four. It didn't make a a damn whether I had the best idea or not. I mean, the best idea gets four votes. The worst idea gets five. Guess what passes? The worst idea. So so if you've got this reality, if we've got a state that's growing and we're about 5.2 million people and these eight counties in particular are growing like wildfire. What is the responsibility of the office holders in these eight counties? I mean, I know if I were a senator from Lexington County, you know what? I'd be loyal to the voters of Lexington County. If I were a senator in Charleston County, you know what? I'd be loyal to the voters of Charleston County. If I were a House member in Horry, you know where my loyalties would lie? Those Horry County residents who go to the ballot and put me in office or take me or take me out of office. So politics is not an altruistic sport. I mean, it's a zero-sum game. So these guys and ladies who are going to the ballots, or excuse me, going to Columbia to transact our state's business and spend somewhere in the neighborhood of $27 billion with a B. And for those that don't know, a billion a thousand million. So it's a, it's a bunch of money. I mean, it's a lot of money that's being spent in Columbia on behalf of all the, 40, uh, the 46 counties. And, and, I, and I think there was some genius and our founding fathers, when they placed the Electoral College and, and they, they, you know, basically came up with this way of we're not going to move Senate seats around. I mean, Wyoming is going to be relevant. Montana is going to be relevant. But because if not, the, these, these centers, these, these population hubs become the only thing that matters in the way we, we govern ourselves. I'm not saying Reynolds v. Sims is a bad decision. I mean, I'm not a lawyer. I'm damn sure not a judge. But, but I do believe it presents and proposes problems. And South Carolina may not be unique. I mean, this, this problem may exist in a lot of other – I'm sure it does. I mean, I'm sure there's disproportionate growth in a lot of other places. I'm not in those other places. I'm a South Carolinian that cares deeply about this state. I want it to do well. I want it to progress and prosper. And and, and, and as I look down the road and, and to try to fancy myself as somewhat of a politically astute visionary – I just see trouble coming because once again, 20% of our counties have 60% of our elected officials. And we live in a state, and I do think this makes South Carolina a bit unique. We live in a state that has a weak executive branch. The general assembly is where the juice is to use political speak. It's where the horsepower, it's where the movers and shakers or the moving and shaking is done. And if you don't have the offset of a statewide elected governor to kind of counterbalance some of this, influence the general assembly has on how we govern ourselves i'm not saying we're headed for trouble i'm not insinuating that at all i'm trying to throw something out there that i think is an interesting debate item that, that a lot of smart people should try to consider uh how to address because if all the political horsepower resides in these eight counties i'll give an example Let, let's round off here you ready um i mean i can do math pretty quick Greenville at 550, I mean, if you divide that by 110, that's pretty easy. You've got five senators that'll be from Greenville. Um, Richland, 425, that's going to be somewhere just shy of four. Uh, Charleston, 425, somewhere just shy of four. Ori, 400,000, somewhere just shy of four. Spartanburg, 350, around three senators. Lexington's got three senators. York will have about three senators, Berkeley, number eight on the list, population 250. What's that, two and a quarter? Yeah, two and a quarter. Uh, So so round down, they'll have about two. So the three million people that live in those eight counties will have a total of 28 of the uh, the 46 senators, 60%. I mean, a little better than 60%, to be honest, maybe 62-ish percent, 80 of the 124 House members. Is that good for the state? I mean, it abides by Reynolds v. Sims, and I have no idea. I'm not a constitutional lawyer. Uh, it's obvious that Reynolds v. Sims fixed what they perceived to be a flaw. I think of the Alabama state constitution. I think Alabama had one, sen- one county, one senator, just like, just like South Carolina did, and, uh, and they rectified that, and it is law of the land. But is there anything in South Carolina we can do? Politically, economically, business-minded, uh, academic—somebody, or are there, are there any opinions anybody out there has? Or am I the only somebody worried about this? Uh, I, I'm not the smartest guy in the room by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, should we be worried about this? Is—is is it a non-issue? I'm just trying to shed light and bring the light something that I've tried to pay attention to and better understand. And I do think I have some credibility here. Uh, I served as lieutenant governor of South Carolina. I presided over the state Senate. I watched, uh, you know, a little bit of uh, Homerism be played out, and I get it. I mean, if I were a senator, I would be doing uh, the exact same thing. And, and I, I, I do believe the uniqueness of South Carolina in relation to some of these other states is a weak governor and a strong General Assembly, and if you've got a strong General Assembly, and you've got eight counties having 60% of its population, and if you apply that one man, one vote, you've got, in, 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 in essence, eight counties controlling 60% of the Senate, how does the other 40% grow? How did the 30 counties that have less than 100,000 people provide economic opportunity? Do they become deserts? Do they become wastelands? Do we care? I mean, do, do we care if, if the county with 30,000 people drives up to a county with 10 or 12,000 people? Do we care that there's not a grocery store in about 13 counties in South Carolina? Uh, do we care there's not medical providers in, in some of these counties? There aren't any customers there. There aren't any opportunities there. And who saves the day? I, I, I'm not a communist. I'm not a socialist. I, I don't believe government should level the playing field. This is just a... Uh, just something that I have tried to study and research and better and better understand, and I do believe that if we aren't careful, so some of these fast-growing areas will grow even faster. the The budget will be consumed by taking care of these of these fast-growing areas, and we will have as as clear a defined line of demarcation between the haves and have-nots. Now I'm a capitalist. And I want I want to make that crystal clear. I know I sound a little bit like a collectivist when I'm talking about. Well, I got to spread the wealth. I mean, I'm not I'm not talking to Joe the plumber. I'm not talking about about spread the wealth. But but I do believe that the original or excuse me, the latest iteration of our Constitution in 1895, one county, one senator. Uh, th- 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 there was some reason to do that. And, and I do believe that the acceleration of rural depopulation has been a result of the 27 billion dollars that the general assembly has the ability to spend on what they choose to spend it on is going to be spent where the people are. Well if you spend those funds where the people are and you don't spend the funds where the people ain't what lures the people to come where the people ain't and why wouldn't the people the few people who are still living where the people ain't why wouldn't they migrate to some of these um to some of these eight counties that have such an enormous advantage. And uh, is is it earned? I I guess it is. I mean, you know, uh, it's hard to goof up the ocean. You know, I've got some friends that will talk about the growth along the Grand Strand. And I'm going like, well, God gave you an ocean and a strand and beaches. I mean, how do you not? You really should be ashamed it took you that long uh, to maximize and take advantage. But anyway, uh, I want to wrap up and say this. This is the kind of subject, topics, and issues that we're going to talk about. And um, and it, it is a local issue. We're a um, we're kind of a standstill county right now. The PD region has not grown. Some of the surrounding areas around Florence have lost population and they're going to lose some representation as they lose uh, population. I'm just throwing that out there for us to consider. Maybe we can um, take some of this information, have a roundtable, uh, begin a conversation about what needs to be done. Uh, there's nothing we can do at the federal level because the courts have spoken in, uh, in Reynolds v. Sims. I want to once again thank our sponsors. I want to make crystal clear how much we appreciate Pepsi of Florence. Carolina Bank, Mickey Fins, Marlboro PD Electric Co-op, Francis Marion University, McLeod Help, McCall Farms, Victor's, uh, PLC Commercial. I have told every one of our sponsors, I don't know what we can do to move the meter and the sector of the economy you participate in. But, but I, 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 this is home to me. I've never lived anywhere other than Florence County. Don't want to live anywhere other than Florence County. I want to see this area do well. I want to be a part of helping it progress. I went and sat down with individuals from each of these companies. Their motivation and commitment is not to me. I mean, I'll assure you that. I love to be um, arrogant enough to say, hey, they invested in me because they're flattered by my skill and expertise. That's not the case. They believe that I love here, and they love here as well.